We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What is happening, everybody? Happy Monday! Welcome into another episode of the Pack a Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. No practice on Sunday. I felt empty. I didn't know what to do with my life. I had to reevaluate everything. But nonetheless, we have a ton to talk about either way. We are going to be going over some of my key takeaways. There's been four practices. Three of them have been actually active practices. The other was a walkthrough, but still four practices in total. And I do think even though they weren't in pads, even though one was a walkthrough, even though there's only four total, I think there's a lot of takeaways so far from those first four practices before we get ready for Monday's uh, first practice in pads. So really looking forward to that. Before I get there, a quick apology for yesterday. Yeah. Somehow, some way, I decided to call Anders Carlson by his brother's name, Daniel Carlson, throughout the entirety of the episode. No idea how that happened. I have so many, like, obviously, first of all, they're brothers, so and they're both kickers, so that's the logical reason why it happened. But uh, I have so many, like, random football names in my head that sometimes random ones pop out out of nowhere. But the, the crazy thing, I didn't recognize it when I said it. I didn't recognize it when I was reviewing it and editing and everything like that. So it just happened, and I have no idea how. So the, the bad news is the fact that it happened and I didn't catch it probably means it could potentially happen again, uh, but I will do better in the future. Apologies to Ander, Anders Carlson. Um, obviously, I know that that's his name. That's who the kicker is. But I digress. We're not going to go over that. But yes, I did catch that yesterday. Thank you for the mentions in the comments. And uh, thank you for the grace in those as well, because most of them were uh, very funny and very nice about it. And uh, usually I don't make mistakes, as I joked about on Twitter. If that's my biggest mistake of 2023 so far, then I will gladly take 
that I called Anders Carlson by his brother's name through the entirety of an episode. But you know me, I'm a perfectionist. I'll do better going forward and I'll probably mess up a name in this episode now too, but uh, hopefully it will not happen again moving forward. And again, thank you for the comments and the jokes on that yesterday. All right. Meanwhile, quick other news and notes before we get to uh, some of our other key things that I want to go over today. Uh, Amari Rogers was released by the Houston Texans. Now, obviously this is not specifically Packers news because he was a Houston Texan. If you remember, Packers released him midway last season. He got picked up by the Texans. Actually had like a couple of nice games. He had 12 catches, 154 yards and a touchdown with Houston. It sounds like it was a mutual parting of ways. But listen, for, for Amari, like if things weren't going well in Houston, it's not like they have the most dynamic receiving core in the NFL. Obviously not a great sign for him. I really hope that he does ultimately succeed and find a spot. I do think different players have different breakout periods uh, within their career. And it certainly has not gone according to plan for Amari. I also think that this is a real, um, you know, another great indicator of just how important getting off to a strong start in the NFL is. And yes, as Packer fans, we have seen multiple players, Devontae Adams being such a great example, Rashawn Gary to some extent, Aaron Rodgers is another like that didn't come in and just, you know, weren't amazing right away. And it took them, you know, a few years before things really started to click, right? And, and again, that can happen at different stages of careers for different players. But I do think there's a ton to be said about getting a player off to a strong start. I didn't think Amari ever really, and, and I'm not saying the Packers were necessarily at fault for that, but the whole Randall Cobb situation, I think they had probably an idea of how to use Amari and then Cobb came through. They tried using him primarily as a returner. That didn't work out. And listen, Amari has to make his own opportunities as well, but that was a draft pick that did not work out, did not get off to that strong start in Green Bay, whether that was due to Amari or the whatever the case may be, it just didn't happen. Tries a new change of scenery in Houston, doesn't end up working out there. And uh, we'll see where he catches on moving forward, but certainly wishing him the best. And like I said, I very much hope that he does find success in the NFL, but he was released by Houston on Sunday and we'll see where he ends up moving forward. Another one of those cursed third round picks in Green Bay and still very hopeful with fingers crossed that Tucker Craft can be the one that really breaks through and becomes the well overdue stud of a third round pick for this Packers team. All right. So as I mentioned, pads come on on Monday. So what does that mean exactly? And maybe more importantly, who benefits and maybe who should we keep an extra eye on now that the pads are on? So uh, first of all, I think from a, you know, what to, or who benefits from it, I should say, I think some of the just interior defensive line and offensive line battles become a lot more fun. Without pads on, yes, those things are still okay to like track and you can see like some easy penetration by defensive linemen and things like that. But it's it's different in the trenches when pads come on. It just is. And while there's no hitting and there's no tackling, you still get the, you know, down and dirty in the trenches, especially when those pads do come on. So I think we can evaluate a lot of the interior, you know, offensive line and defensive line play a little bit more. I think we're going to be able to get a better look at Devontae Wyatt, TJ Slayton, Colby Wooden, Carl Brooks, those type of players. And then on the offensive side of the ball too, your, your Sean Ryans and your Royce Newmans, I think we're going to start to see who really steps up and who plays better when the pads come on and then who ultimately maybe fades into the distance a little bit more. So I think that's something really to keep an eye on. I think Lucas Van Ness is going to be somebody who very much benefits from the pads coming on. If you are 6'5", 275 and are sculpted and have uh, the physique of a Greek god, um, when the pads come on and you can be a little bit more physical... 
that's going to benefit you. And Van Ness basically kind of said as much the other day when he was interviewed and, and, you know, very excited for those pads to come on. He's already throwing Josiah DeGuara around a little bit with the pads off. So I'm very excited to see what he can do when those do come on. And like I said, I do think he's probably one of the ones that benefits most uh, from it being a little bit more of a physical practice. Another one is Christian Watson, and you may not think of wide receivers traditionally as a player who might benefit from the pads coming on. Um, Usually, you know, pads can slow those type of players down a little bit, but Christian Watson is such a freak where with, you know, corners, you know, maybe not being quite as fluid with the pads coming on and things like that. When you're Christian Watson, it doesn't matter if you are, you know, carrying a backpack full of, you know, dumbbells, like you are still a freak athlete and you're going to be able to find a way to succeed. So when all things are equal and corners are maybe slowed down a little bit, by the pads and things get a little bit more physical when you've got a, you know, super freak of an athlete like Christian Watson, who's 6'4", 200, whatever, and can run, you know, through your face. He can run a 4'3", 40, like he's just got everything at his disposal. I think that's somebody else that's going to benefit. I think Tucker Craft is another, and hopefully he's able to come back from whatever injury he had on Saturday. But I think that's another one where you look at these tight ends, right? Luke Musgrave, a little bit more of the thin, wiry, big wide receiver type tight end. Tyler Davis, who I think has done a really nice job blocking, all things considered. Still not your traditional big physical, you know, run blocking tight end or anything like that. Josiah DeGuara, more the H-back fullback type. Austin Allen's more the skinny, lean wide receiver type, you know, big receiver type tight end. Tucker Craft is more your conventional, traditional tight end that has a little bit more bulk and is great size for the position with good athleticism as well. And I think once the pads come on, I think he could be set up a little bit more to have success based on his build and his athletic ability than maybe some of the other tight ends and just being a little bit more of a well-rounded overall tight end than some of the other ones on the roster. So that's another one that I think could benefit more. Again, hopefully he's healthy and ready to go on Monday. If not, hopefully sooner rather than later, but Tucker Craft's another one. So uh, the interior offensive line, defensive line, I think are, are going to benefit a little bit from this. Lucas Van Ness, Christian Watson, and Tucker Craft are some players that I think uh, ultimately could, could win a little bit more with the pads coming on. Some players that I'm really interested to watch with the pads coming on starts with Luke Musgrave, right? You, you, we know that this has been a player specifically in OTAs and mini camps that showed off his speed, his size, his balance, like he can run past players. But now pads come on, big man's game. It's going to get a little bit more physical. Like how does he respond to that? How does he respond as a blocker? And as I mentioned the other day, his physicality against Kenny Clark on a run play was my first like, okay, this guy has the willingness and, and determination and he's going to you know get a little bit scrappy every now and again. But this is a player pads coming on. I really want to see how do, how is his athleticism with the pads on and, and how does that change his game overall? So that's kind of one A on my list. The wide receiver core as a whole, right? Romeo Dobbs, he's had this sort of breakout in year two so far. Does that continue with the pads on? Kirk Benkert, by the way, had some glowing things to say about Romeo Dobbs on Twitter on Sunday if you want to check that out. Jaden Reed is another player who we haven't seen with the pads on yet. That quicker slot type wide receiver. Want to see what he looks like with the pads coming on. Samore Toure's had a phenomenal start to camp. I want to see what that looks like. And then Malik Heath, who is you know, sort of the star of uh, rookie minicamps, OTAs and minicamps from a undrafted standpoint. Hasn't done much in training camp so far. So that's another player that I'm very interested in. So that wide receiver core, Quay Walker is another one, right? We know he has the speed. We know he has the athleticism sideline to sideline, but now things get a little bit more physical and down and dirty in the trenches. And can he shed some blocks and can he go make some plays? Like this needs to be a more physical, intense, and, you know, just, um, 
you know, less thinking for Quay Walker. I want to see those instincts come out. I want to see him fly to the football and make those plays behind the line of scrimmage. So with pads on, really looking forward to seeing Quay Walker. Lucas Van Ness, we just talked about, even though he's a player that benefits from it, he's also one that I can't wait to watch with the pads on. I think Carrington Valentine's another one, right? This is more of a skinny, wiry kind of corner. It's not like he doesn't have some, you know, uh, you know, some overall bulk to him, if you will. But uh, I think still, this is a player that when the pads come on, what does that look like? We just haven't seen it. Seventh round pick. He's been really, really good so far through OTA's mini camps and the first start of training camp. In fact, I think of the day three guys, he's probably been the one that's kind of stood out the most. But now when the pads come on and he's got to go against some of these wide receivers, not only in the passing game, but in the run game, how does he hold up? So Luke Musgrave, the wide receiver core, Quay Walker, LVN, and Carrington Valentine. Some guys I'm going to be keeping just a little bit of an extra eye on with the pads coming on on Monday. All right, so that is our precursor to today's main topic and main uh, episode for today. And that is going to be our 10 key takeaways from training camp so far. And again, four practices in, three live ones. And I really kind of just want to go over what I've seen. And I've gone over every single one of these points in my episodes so far. Um, For the most part, I think maybe there's one or two that I haven't gone over in in detail here. But uh, I just want to sort of emphasize some of these because I do think these are the 10 that have stood out to me in totality so far. So number one or number 10, we're going in reverse order. So number 10 uh, is the play of the defensive line. And I think the running game on Saturday had its first real signs of life and you could see some gaps. And I thought the offensive line maybe had a little bit better of a day than the defensive line. But Kenny Clark's had a very strong start to training camp. I feel like Wyatt and Slayton, especially Slayton, has shown some real legitimate flashes. Slayton had a great play on Saturday where he got in the backfield. And as I mentioned, kind of looked like Gilbert Brown breaking into the backfield and engulfing A.J. Dillon like three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Devontae Wyatt's been penetrating. He had a pressure on Saturday that resulted in what would have been, in my opinion, a Kingsley and Igbar sack, but it was really Wyatt's pressure that set that up. Yeah, I, Colby Wooden was another player. He busted through, I think it was Sean Ryan, and then the running back, Emmanuel Wilson, to get a, I think, a sack on either Clifford or Etling on the play. And then, uh, you know, Carl Brooks has shown some ability to get in the backfield and penetrate as well, and was one of the guys I was super excited about coming off watching his tape when the Packers drafted him. So uh, overall, I think the defensive line has played well so far. I think they've been ahead of my expectations going into training camp, and now I want to see what that looks like when the, the pads come on. But I think, you know, with the loss of Dean Lowry, the loss of Jerron Reed, there was a lot of question marks as to what this defensive line would look like. I think we understood and knew all right, Slayton and Wyatt are going to play a lot more, but were they going to be up to the task? That was the first question. So far, they have been. And then how do Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks sort of fill in for those other two players? It's been Wooden primarily with the, the you know, one so far. It's been Clark, Wyatt, Slayton, and Wooden, and then Carl Brooks, Jonathan Ford, and the rest of the group have been with uh, the twos and threes. But so far, so good. And I've been impressed with what the defensive line's been able to accomplish. And I think that group is headed in the right direction through the first four days of training camp. Number nine on my list is just how much two tight end sets they've been working with. And not a super surprise. You know, they're going to go with a lot of 11 personnel, and then they're going to go with a lot of 12 as well, meaning one running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers. But, uh, you know, with with the unknowns at tight end, you've got no Robert Tunyon, you've got no Mercedes Lewis, you bring in two rookies, you bring back Josiah DeGuar on that H-back fullback tight end role, and then you've got Tyler Davis as well. I was interested, in, and especially with all the young talent at wide receiver, there certainly could have been a world where they run a lot of 11 personnel, 
we could have seen a lot more you know, of the two running back sets with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, but they've come out and really one of their primary formations that they've come out with to start the day more often than not has been their 12 personnel. It's been a lot of Luke Musgrave. He has been tight end number one so far in camp. We've seen a lot of Josiah DeGuar on that spot. Tucker Craft got that uh, second starting spot on Saturday. Tyler Davis has rotated in a ton. So they're going to rotate those guys quite a bit throughout camp. I think there's a really good chance that they're going to rotate those guys quite a bit throughout the season as well. But with the even with the unknowns at tight end, it seems that Matt LaFleur really wants to work in a lot of 12 personnel and get those young tight ends on the field. And I think that's an exciting thing because there's a lot of talent there. Musgrave and Kraft are chock full of potential. Now it's just unlocking that and making sure that they can go out and play at a high level. It may not come right away. It's a really tough position to play from day one, but the talent is there. The mismatch opportunities are there. And you can tell that Matt LaFleur really wants to work within that formation. And I think we're going to see a lot of it this upcoming season. And it has been an emphasis so far through the first four days of training camp. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Number eight might excite only me, but you know me, I get excited about the weird minutia and things like that. But there's a legitimate punter battle. We, we've got ourselves a real-life punter battle. Daniel Whelan has looked really, really good. Going back to OTAs and minicamp, and um, I thought his best day as a Packer was on Saturday. He was booming the ball. I think uh, Domovsky, I think, had like a 52-yard average, something like that, um, with an incredible hang time throughout the day. And this is a real opportunity for him. Now, to to be fair here, Pat O'Donnell had some more like coffin corner opportunities, which is why his average wasn't quite as much. And Daniel Whelan was more the swing away, just kick it as far and high as you can sort of opportunity. So it wasn't completely apples to apples. I forget who it was in the comments yesterday as well. Uh, but somebody pointed out that it was Daniel Whelan holding on the kicks for Anders Carlson when he went two for seven on the day. I cannot confirm that, but I do think there's a, probably a really good chance that that was the case considering O'Donnell had done it on the day that he punted um, and he was the holder that day. So my guess is that Whelan was probably the primary guy. I didn't see anything that was a poor hold when I was watching it per se, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't anything either. Um, so yeah, well, you know, that's going to be something to keep an eye on, but He's, he's done a really nice job punting throughout OTA's mini camps and training camps so far. And I do think it's a battle. And I've, I've said this on a few different occasions already, but I'll repeat myself again. O'Donnell, 
eight years older, makes over a million dollars more, and doesn't have any controllable years on his contract like Daniel Whelan does. If this is even close, the spot probably should go to Daniel Whelan unless the holding is really a legitimate issue and, and O'Donnell's just that much better and they don't think that the Anders Carlson, you know, Daniel Whelan, whoever wins the long snapper battle is is going to be able to make field goals because of it. But if he can hit if he can nail that down and the punting is even close, to me that's advantage Daniel Whelan. But I do think we have a real legitimate punter battle on our hands. So what more could you possibly want out of a training camp than that? Number seven, the return of Jire Island. He has been beyond phenomenal. Like all first team all pro stuff, shut down corner. He's not giving up anything. He's competing at the highest of levels. It's just a joy to watch him go out and practice. I, I've you know, when I when I've talked about like things to go and, and see at practice, I've mentioned Jair specifically. Like just go to practice and watch Jair on a given day. First of all, he's entertaining as heck on like just everything that he's doing. Second of all, his attention to detail, the way he practices, its there's no question in my mind, and there shouldn't be a question in anyone's mind, why this guy is as good as he is. He takes everything so seriously in a um, in a positive way. Like, like I mentioned, there's a lot of goofing around and having you know, having fun too, but that's in between stuff. Once, once that whistle blows and it's a, a team period and individual period, he is working on perfecting his craft and he has apparently done so, so far because he, this looks like first team all pro Jair. And that is a great, great thing to see. I, and this is not just like, oh, they've got young receivers. Like he looks amazing. He looks absolutely amazing. And Jair, Jair Island looks to be making a real comeback in 2023. Number six, Zach Tom seemingly in the lead for the right tackle spot so far. This looks like it's going to still be quite the battle between Yash Nyman and Zach Tom. And with David Bakhtiari kind of being in some practices, out of some practices, that means somebody's going to have to take that left tackle you know, opportunity as well, which has been Yash more often than not. But so far, Zach Tom has got the primary duties with the ones at right tackle. Yash has worked in a little bit, and there's been some, you know, switching and rotating there as well. But Zach Tom, I would say, has gotten probably about 70%-ish, if not more, of the, the number one snaps at right tackle so far. He has got some number three reps with the center group as well. Or he's worked as the number three center with the number three offensive line as well, meaning Zach Tom. So they are still trying to cross-train him a little bit. But if I had to guess right now, if the season were to start tomorrow and they were to line up their offensive line, I think you're looking at Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers, Runyon, and Zach Tom left to right to start things off to begin the season. So we'll see. Yash certainly still in the equation, and I know he will fight tooth and nail like he has done his entire you know career to go from undrafted free agent to uh, starter in this league. And you know he's on a nice contract, and this is a contract year for him too. So we'll see what happens there. But I definitely think he's going to battle this out with Zach Tom, which is exactly what you want to see. But right now, I think Zach Tom very much in the lead. Number five, the amount of Jordan Love plays under center that we've seen so far has been noteworthy to me as well. And you know, Aaron didn't like playing a ton under center. He didn't like turning his back on the play action fakes and things like that. Jordan also, remember, played a ton of shotgun in college. Like that, that was primarily a shotgun offense. So he had to learn under center and a lot of the, the nuances and footwork of that. Not only has there been a lot under center for Jordan Love, he looks so comfortable doing it. His footwork is great. He has no problem at least watching him, turning his back to the defense, knowing where to go with the football, planting his foot, hitting receivers in stride. In fact, he looks like extremely comfortable in those situations. Like it is going to be a primary core um 
you know, play that he likes to run is the under center play action stuff. And he's mobile enough to get out on the bootlegs. He had a great play to Toure the other day where, you know, that little bootleg rolling to the left. And that was something that like some quarterbacks just really struggle with that rolling to the left when they're a right-handed quarterback because you got to kind of throw across your body. He had a great play rolling to his left and using his, his arm and his mobility to get outside and make that throw to Samore Toure. So it has looked really, really good so far. And I don't think there's going to be any concern whatsoever. If Matt wants to call under center shotgun, we saw some read option plays. We saw some legitimate option plays in practice the other day. Like there's going to be a plethora of stuff that Jordan Love is capable of doing at quarterback. And we're going to see him, I think, be very, very comfortable under center play action and striking the ball downfield off of the play action opportunities, but it has looked very clean, crisp, and you know, like just very comfortable for Jordan Love under center so far. And like I said, we have seen a lot of it. Number four. All right. Brace yourself a little bit for this one. This might be a little bit harsh. All right. I'm just going to say it up front. This might be a little bit harsh, but when you've been a defense that is disappointed for years, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get graded a little bit more harshly as we kind of go through this and review the play of the defense, right? And I will preface this by saying the defense has been the winner of the competitive periods. I would argue the defense has been ahead of the offense and sort of the the bend but don't break stuff has been working for the defense. They've been very stout um, in some of those scoring opportunities, red zone defense, two minute drills. Like I said, they've, they've been winning those more often than not against the ones, against the twos and against the three. So defense has not looked bad in any way, shape or form. In fact, like I said, they've probably outperformed, not probably, they've outperformed the offense so far. However, however, I think their lack of defensive playmaking has also been noteworthy so far. And I talked to Wes Hodkovitz a little bit about this, and he did bring up a great point as well. There haven't been a ton of move the ball periods. It's been a lot of red zone in two minute, and it's a lot of times in the move the ball periods where you maybe see a few more of those, those interceptions and things like that. There have been some sacks and sacks are definitely like hard to come by because of the red jersey and you get anywhere near and you just kind of back up. But there have been some pressures and there's been some sacks. So that up front has been good. They haven't had Rashawn Gary yet, but here's my big thing. They have had one interception in three practices so far. And if we're just being realistic, right? Jordan Love, not going to be the best quarterback that this defense sees all season long, right? This is a first time starting quarterback. They've intercepted him one time off of a deflection where Jair made a ridiculous diving play to deflect the ball and the ball popped up in the air advantageously for the defense, disadvantageously for the offense and Jordan Love. That is their only interception through three practices. And it's not just Jordan, right? Sean Clifford, the fifth round rookie, they have not intercepted. Danny Etling, the journeyman 30-year-old quarterback who's never started a game in the NFL, has not thrown an interception. Alex Magoo, the whatever league he was in was USFL MVP, no interceptions, right? And it's been three practices. So yes, I will reiterate once again, this is a little bit harsh. There's a lot of time left. The pads haven't even come on, which will also benefit the defense probably more than the offense. But like in The Hobbit, where, or I guess in Lord of the Rings, where uh, Bilbo says, I want to see mountains. I need mountains. I want to see mountains. I need I need playmaking. Joe Barry, I need playmaking. I want to see playmaking, Joe Barry. And I haven't seen a lot of playmaking out of this defense yet. That's something that's been lacking overall. And I want to see a little bit more of it. And I want to see some interceptions. I want to see some deflections. I want to see some, you know, big time, you know, untouched blitzer off the edge. Like I just need to see a little bit more oomph 
and pizzazz and playmaking from the defense. I haven't seen that through three days of live practices and four days overall, and I would just like a little bit more of it. And when you have one interception against four really inexperienced quarterbacks in three days, that's just not quite good enough for me. And even that interception was a little bit fluky. So I need more defense. I want to see more of those playmaking opportunities. Number three on my list has been the rookie ups and downs, all right? Not unexpected, but certainly noteworthy and evident so far. Luke Musgrave, probably the king of this. Awesome in OTAs and mini camps. Looks the part. Great speed. Great agility. Hasn't really made an impact in training camp so far. You can tell the the head is spinning a little bit. There's been some really bad pressures allowed. In the same token, he had a great block against Kenny Clark the other day. He beat Corey Ballantyne clean and should have had a big play if Jordan Love was able to hit him down the field. So you can see the pluses, but there's a lot of thinking going on. He's had a few different drops uh, through the course of practice. So just still cleaning some things up, some rookie stuff, right? Tucker Craft, haven't really seen anything, right? Hasn't been any big plays, hasn't been any necessarily bad plays either. It's just kind of been there, like hasn't been noteworthy in any way, shape or form. LVN, you can see him at times getting blocked kind of easily by Luke Tenuta. Other times he's throwing Josiah DeGuara around. He's making a great play, uh, closing the back door and making a, 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 you know great plays in run defense and, and chasing things down um, and getting pressure on the quarterback, uh, you know, by... Um, you know, by disengaging from Yash Nyman on a specific play that was back in OTAs and minicamps. But um, you can see all of the flashes, but you can see at times that he's still thinking and going through things as well. Jaden Reed, right? Very quiet OTA and minicamp. Training camp's been better. He's had a couple really big plays in training camp so far. The end around, the touchdown in the back of the end zone and red zone. He's looked really good in training camp. OTAs and minicamps, you didn't really see him all that much. Malik Heath, the opposite was awesome in OTAs and minicamps. Hasn't done anything in training camp. Dropped the other day, ran the wrong route, got down on himself a little bit. Those are things that are going to happen with a rookie. Colby Wooden, I mentioned that great sack the other day. It looked really good in OTAs and minicamps. Outside of that sack, didn't really do much in training camp in those first few days as he's sort of getting acclimated. Carrington Valentine's probably the one that's been uh, the best in regards to just positive plays, breaking up plays against Christian Watson and another pass breakup on Saturday in OTAs and minicamps, breaking up stuff against Romeo Dobbs. But I'm sure his time is coming for some of those hiccups. He'll probably do for getting beat on a double move or something coming up, but um, certainly some positives there. And then Anders, don't call me Daniel Carlson. Uh, he had some, like what, before Saturday, he was kicking great through OTA's mini camps and training camp. He was awesome. And then he goes two through seven on Saturday. So just the fluctuations of these rookie players, which is totally normal for every single one of these. But um, now it's time to start hopefully seeing some consistency, some playmaking and, and seeing these guys go out and perform even better now that they're going into week two. And now that we're starting to see the pads come on. Number two on my list is the play of Samori Toure. The big 33-yard completion on third and three in the two-minute drill the other day, a couple really big deep crossing plays down the field. In that first uh, training camp, he got open on a couple different plays. The one Jordan Love missed him a little bit late on the sideline where he was wide open and uh, Love just let him a little bit too much right and it ended up being caught out of bounds. But he has been consistently, consistently open through three days. In fact, I would argue that Toure has been the wide receiver that has been often most or has been open most often. Like, He's just continually finding ways to get open in, in all three layers of the field, short, intermediate, and deep. 
There, there seems to be a legitimate step from Samori Toure so far. We'll see what happens when the pads come on and if that can continue. I mentioned this yesterday, but the four wide receivers right now, Watson, Dobbs, Reed, and Toure, and in some order, like they're all going to play a lot. And I think those are going to be the four that you see on the field a ton this season. But Romeo Dobbs, Samori Toure really have like, looked like they've taken legitimate steps and Toure looks really freaking good. Very, very excited. I'm hoping that continues through, uh, you know, you know, once the pads come on on Monday and just throughout the season, because uh, this is a player that, if you remember last year, he had that that big touchdown pass, and like midway through the season, Matt Lafleur was already talking of like we've got to find ways to get Samori on the field more and him more involved. Like Matt, Matt was talking about him midway through last season. Like they know that this guy can play. This is a steal of a seventh round pick, and I expect, like. I don't expect big things out of Samori this year. I, I think if I if you told me he had like 70 catches for a thousand yards and eight touchdowns, I'd be like, wow, that that's insane. Like that's incredible. I just I don't I wouldn't bet on that. I'd, I'd, I'd take the under on that. But if you told me he had a really nice season as a number three, number four wide receiver with 30, 40 catches for, you know, 600 yards and a handful of touchdowns. I think it's very much within the realm of possibility. I think there's going to be a very, very nice season in store for Toure based on what I've seen in camp so far. The number one probably goes without saying, but has been Jordan's love, Jordan Love's progression and a double meaning on the word progression. One, his ability to go through progressions has been noteworthy to me. I've talked about it all week long, even on his bad days, is that I've enjoyed seeing where he's thrown the football to. Sometimes it wasn't accurate. On the first day of practice on Wednesday, he wasn't accurate with where he was throwing the football to. But you know what? He made the right decisions on where to go with the football based on what I saw. That was awesome. Like I, I loved his decision-making. I loved him getting the ball out of his hands. I loved him hitting the deep opportunity, like throwing to the deep ball opportunities when he had them. Do I wish he would have completed them? Yes. But then you know what? He got better the next day. And I think he was what, like five of 13 or something on that day. But you know what? couple incredible throws. And I liked once again, his decision-making and where he decided to go with the football. I thought it was a really strong day despite the numbers, even though having you know two touchdowns, one interception and the, the low completion percentage, I liked his decision-making again. And then it all came to fruition on Saturday and it was everything. I thought he went with the, you know, to the right places with the ball with great accuracy, showed off the arm strength, made some big time throws down the field. And we saw our first real glimpse of what really good Jordan Love looks like in my opinion. And that was awesome to watch. It was really fun. So his ability to go through progressions and make the right reads, get the ball out of his hands and play within the rhythm of the offense has been by far and away my biggest takeaway. There's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some poor decisions along the way, I'm sure. There's going to be some inaccurate passes as we saw on Wednesday. But the other thing, and again, the play on words here is this is overall progression. My favorite thing that I've seen, I thought, like I said, he made the right reads on Wednesday wasn't a great practice. Missed some open opportunities that should have been big plays. Thursday, made the right reads. Had some, uh, you know, incompletions and stuff, but overall, some really big time throws, a deflection that ended in an interception, but he got better from Wednesday to Thursday. Then you've got the, you know, the walkthrough day on Friday, and then Saturday comes back and has his best day of practice, but he got better every single day throughout the week. And that's really what this season is about is A, seeing these flashes from Jordan Love, but then starting to see the consistency come through. And then can he get better day by day, week by week, you know, and, and by the end of the year, really be a, a quarterback that other teams are like, oh, we we really have to be concerned about Jordan Love at this point because he's doing some amazing things. And Saturday was our first glimpse of that. And now the old Mike McCarthy 
Can he stack success? Can he take that Saturday performance and stack it on Monday and do it again? And then on Tuesday and so on and so forth. That's what I really want to see as we transition to week two is can he continue that progression and can he stack those days consistently and show that he can be a consistent quarterback day in and day out? That is really, in my opinion, the really next big step for Jordan Love and something that I'm hoping to see more in week two with those pads on. That's going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Just to recap for you here, my 10 takeaways from camp so far, play of the defensive line, all the two tight end sets, a real true legitimate punter battle, the return of Jire Island, Zach Tom in the lead at right tackle, Jordan Love under center a ton and doing really well with it, lack of defensive playmaking, the rookie ups and downs, Samore Toure's play and breakout in year two so far, and Jordan Love's overall progression. Practice on Monday, padded. I'll have a ton of takeaways from that. I do believe I'm going to be doing a quick hits video as soon as that practice is done, as well as a full video for Tuesday morning to break down everything that I saw. You're probably going to want to subscribe if you haven't already. Like, comment. Listen. Also, if you're listening to this on iTunes, especially, uh, we had two douchey uh, grades recently, like a one-star review that clearly people did not know what they were talking about. So if you could do me a favor in your heart of hearts and just leave that five-star review to get rid of those two douchey comments at the bottom that people don't know what they're talking about are making, that would be amazing. So again, if you could do that on uh, iTunes, if you're listening or, or Apple Podcasts, I should say, give that five-star review, make a comment, and tell me how much you love the podcast just to re-up my spirits after those comments. So uh, that would be amazing. If you're on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and like I said, subscribe if you have not already. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Hope you're enjoying all these as much as I'm enjoying doing them. Hopefully I didn't screw up any names today. Apologies to Anders and Daniel Carlson. Until next time, and as always, go Paco. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.